All right. Welcome back to another episode of The Shadows of Jesus, where we are walking through the whole Bible together as a church, and we're hoping that this podcast is serving you to help you in the journey. Um, I'm Jeff Martin, lead pastor here at Redeemer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Bill Jolly. Bill Jolly, another pastor here at Redeemer. Um, you know, something that's interesting is just as you're reading through Scripture, I know it's it's hard at times, and you can get bogged down in it, mm. and it's spiritual. Mm-hmm. And here's what's great. I want to take this for encouragement. If if you're like, man, I don't know what's happening. I'm struggling here. Have confidence that the Holy Spirit shows up when you're in God's Word in a way that He doesn't show up when you're binge-watching Amazon Prime or Netflix or Hulu. And so the Spirit is with you. So I would say if you're if you're struggling, just take time to pray and say, God, like, would your Spirit show up for me in this moment? And um, just see if God doesn't doesn't open your heart in a way that uh, they haven't experienced before. But any other yeah, and I, well, I was reflection light before we dive in today. Yeah, hearing from um, there's a woman in my in our community group, and she said, "I'm reading through this, and there are sometimes where I just feel like, man." there's so much more I want to dig into or I really didn't feel like I got a good grasp of it. And so she's actually like just making notes Yeah, she goes through the Bible this year of the places where, where she felt like, yeah, I really got this or, you know, I want to come back to this. And I, I love that. And that's okay. Cause it's like, I've, I've been, I've read through the Bible multiple times and it's like every time you, you get, it goes a little deeper, you get a little bit better grasp of what's going on. So it's okay if this is your first time and it's just like a, you know, it's a big experience. It's a have. lifelong journey. It is. Come back to. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, today we're going to be in first and second Samuel. And the truth is like in the original scriptures, it was just Samuel. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it, why is it first and second for us? That they ran at the scrolls could only be so big. <laughs> yeah, so. so they got two scrolls. So one work, which is going to be really cool because by the time we get to the end, we're going to see how it ties back all the way to the beginning of first Samuel. Mm-hmm. Um, but the three main characters we've been tracking so far were Samuel, Samuel, who the book's written after right. or named after. Yep. And then Saul and then David. David. So second Samuel really leans a little bit more into the life of David. Um, so, so let's look up, let's look at this. We, we've got a season of success followed by a huge moral failure. Yeah. And then we're going to see some consequences from that failure. Mm-hmm. So chapter one, Saul, Saul has died. David hears about it. And you might think that he would rejoice. I mean, like think about um, ding dong, the witch is dead. Like, you know, but instead, I mean, he's, he's not happy. Yeah. He's broken. He laments. Mm-hmm. Um, what stands out to you about, about David lamenting the death of Saul? Yeah. The, and you know, the, the, I remember the, the very first time I read this, I was in the midst of just experiencing this story. And then, and he says, Oh, how the mighty have fallen. He says it again and again. And you see how much he, he cared for Saul and obviously Jonathan's part of this, who was his close friend. Yeah. And, and you see that David is just how raw his heart is for these guys. Even, even with the fact that Saul had tried to kill him and all the problems yeah. that they'd had, but he was still, he was grieving deeply for them. Yeah. You see, you see, you see David deeply mourning death of people who could easily be characterized as his enemies. And, mm-hmm. um, people have betrayed him. And I think for me, that's a testimony. Like when I feel like someone's let me down or hurt me or betrayed me to, to see them as image bearers of God and, um, mm-hmm. and to, to have a different, um, 
heart towards them than maybe is more natural for us. Yeah. So. I think David in his, you know, it must have in his, in his prayer life, he had some, in his life, he had so much opportunity to be bitter towards Saul yeah. and to come up with every reason. I'm just going to, I'm going to kill him as soon as I get the chance. And he never does that. You know, the, the two opportunities he has, he doesn't. And, and I was talking to someone earlier uh, last week and she said, yeah, there are some people that hurt me and um, years back, but I began to pray for them. Mm. and to forgive them and pray for them. And I've prayed for them so much that now when I see them, uh, I, my heart's totally different towards yeah, them. And I think awesome. David, you know, was experiencing God's grace like that. I, I'm struggling to remember who, but I, I know I've listened to a pastor who like one of his pithy sayings that kind of, he always says, you can get bitter or you, you can get better. better. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So in chapters two through six, these chapters show a season of success in a season of blessing for David. I mean, all the tribes come to David, 12 tribes and, and sub-tribes, and they're like, would you unify us? And um, he, they they make him king eventually in chapter 5. Um, he wants to go to Jerusalem and take it back. He renames it Zion. Mm-hmm. He's winning all these battles, so their territory is expanding, which is what God said would happen. Um, something that I do th- find interesting is um, in chapter 5, verse 4, how old is David at this point in his, his life? 30 years old. 30. And so if we go back to the end of Genesis, who was 30? Jacob. Joseph. Uh, Joseph. Ah, many coats. <laughs> J, coat of many the colors. The J. The J. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's so many J's. Yeah. I, I get Rebecca and Rachel mixed up too. Yeah. So Joseph um, was 30. Like he was 30 when, when God really kind of stepped in and used mm-hmm. his life. David's 30 when he's really beginning to use him in his his life and ministry. And then that sets the stage for the ultimate 30-year-old. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus. So mm-hmm. um, I, I love that. Kind of like little hints towards like there's something significant about about these these figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and didn't he reign in Jerusalem for 33 years? Once he, he I think there was seven, a yeah. 40-year reign total. Yeah, so seven, seven was of Judah. Judah, and then 33. It was all overall. Yeah, and he brought in the um, the ark and instituted this, in, instituted worship. Yeah, so so it was kind of the political capital, yeah. Jerusalem, and he's like, I want it to be more. And so he brings in the ark. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of the ark coming into the city, what happens yeah, when so they're bringing it in? It's tragic, um, disturbing. They're, they're so excited. The ark is coming in. Um, they bring it in on an ox cart, which is not how the Lord has specifically told them. Yeah, there's a, very specific directions on how to carry this thing. Priests should be carrying it with these long poles on their shoulders. and so it's. But it's coming in on the ox cart, and it hits a bump, and it looks like the ark is going gonna, gonna to stumble. It's going to fall, and it's going to be damaged. And so one of the guys tending to it, Uzzah, um, puts his hand up to steady the ark, and it says the Lord broke out against him, yeah, and he and he dies. And so I don't know if that, if if it was like like in Raiders of the Lost Ark, where that one Nazi guy, you know, he kind of he melts as he looks into the ark, um, or if he if it was lightning, or you know, just I don't know, or he exploded. I, it was something terrible, and it, <laughs> and the whole it was like this great worship parade that was happening, and then it was just, and then this guy dies, and David is just. Totally yeah. discouraged. And they, and that's, I mean, I wrestled with this question in high school and without asking anybody, I had a faulty view because I was like, how, huh. and so I was like, okay, Old Testament God is just, New Testament God is love. We'll mm-hmm. come back to that because that's how I, that's how I made sense of it in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the big questions as you're reading through Second Samuel is like, what do we do with this? It seems like here's a guy that's just trying to do the right thing. I mean, who of us wouldn't? Also try to stop yeah. that, and like, why would God punish someone for for having the right heart? Mm-hmm. And um, and so, 
what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I mean, it became a public lesson to everybody of um, how holy God is and how important it is to him to, uh, to take him at his word. Yeah. And he had given specific instruction, and all of them had ignored that. And so the you know so Uza suffered it most personally, and but really the whole community, it was for them. You yeah. Know? So it, the it which makes me think of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, where God was brought a, a very swift and harsh judgment. Yeah. On them, but also it taught the community uh, about yeah. that, about His holiness. And so when I when I think about this, I think it's so important for us in our relationship to God to balance um, his fatherness Mm -hmm. and his heavenliness, Mm -hmm. our father in heaven. And so I think our father is approachable. Our father is near. Our father cares. He's deeply invested and interested in our lives. Um, We can, we can come to him Mm -hmm. just like a kid running into a living room and jumping into his dad's lap. We can, we can come and gosh wants to be with us. Like, um, so we want to, we want to make sure we understand the, the intimacy there, but at the same time, our father in heaven, we want to make sure that we also understand his, his eminence and mm-hmm. his, his holiness. And so, so these moments requires, require us to see like, no, yes, God is approachable, but at the same time, like we can't forget that he's also holy. Yeah. Um, and so when I was in high school, like I said, I, I was like, Oh, old Testament God, just new Testament God. Um, love but the truth is is we're going to see a story of david and bathsheba here in a little bit which shows grace Mm -hmm. and love and then when you get to the new testament we also see acts five um with swift judgment as well and so we see that god god's the same he's the same god in the Mm -hmm. old testament and the new testament both both grace and love and both justice and and um holiness yeah And, and so the people they learn from what happened and then they uh they 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 leave the ark for a while in this guy's backyard and God blesses him. That is and, funny. I can think about that. Like some like random guy in Appalachia with a barn. He's like, man, things are going well for me. It's like, they just left the ark. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then David sees it. Yeah. And they're like, okay, let's do this the right way. And even more elaborately with, uh, you know, the priest carrying it sacrifices um, and musicians. And it's, it's just a worship parade going yeah. on and he's and David's dancing. So, yeah, yeah. So they do it right. Bring it into the city. Um, and so, did I, did I miss the part about maybe, um, I hope this isn't later, where David wants to make it not just the political capital, but the the religious capital. Yeah. And he asked if he, that's this chapter seven. Yeah. All right, we're at the right point. So in chapter yeah. seven, mm-hmm. um, basically like he, David asks if I can make you a permanent home. He's like, he's like, right. I have a permanent home. Right. Would it make sense? You're living in a tent, God. Like, should yeah. I make you a permanent home? And what yeah. does God say? He says, no, but then he, gives him a, a pretty incredible yes yeah. after the fact that he says, yeah, don't build me a home. I'm going to build you a home. But by that, he meant this, uh, the Davidic dynasty. Yeah. yeah. And I think we'll, we'll come to this in Chronicles, but basically God's like, you've killed too many people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't, you can't build me a yeah. home yeah. here. We don't get the harsh, the harshness to it. Um, but so he's like, I'm going to build you a dynasty. And so second Samuel seven, maybe, one of the, if we were doing like a top 10 text in the Bible, might be a top 10 text to understanding the whole storyline of scripture. Yeah. Um, so in verses nine through 11 of chapter seven, he, he talks about making David a great name and how he will make David a house. Um, the Lord will make you a house. Mm-hmm. Bill, why don't you read verses 12 through 16? Yeah. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you 
who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Oh, there's so much Jesus in here. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah. we, we see it kind of short term um, fulfilled with Solomon mm-hmm. coming, but but long term fulfilled through Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, this promise um, really kind of brings in the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's gathered and refocused now with with David, mm-hmm. and um and so, but in a more grander sense, is more grander proper English probably not <laughs> grander. Um, they're going to be gathered up and filled in, in Jesus who, who he doesn't, he doesn't commit iniquity, but he gets disciplined by the rod, um, the stripes, <laughs> um, on our behalf for yeah. us. And so, so, he, yeah. so this kingdom will be established forever, um, ultimately through, through David, I mean, through, through David's greater son, the son yeah. of God, mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's interesting. So he's so David wants to set this this you know the city up and build a temple, but he doesn't. He, they're able to have the tabernacle with uh, the ark there. And when you look in Chronicles, it, it doubles this narrative. And it looked like it looks like he established twenty four hour worship for the thirty three years of his reign. Oh, which could be another connection. Well, uh, yeah, and connection to like Jesus lived thirty three years, and it's like was there a, a year of worship? for every year that he would walk the earth. Oh, that's so cool. Like, Come on. Yeah, I didn't see that. <laughs> um, so in chapters 8 through 10, God's building plan for David's kingdom, it's on track. And what I love about these chapters is just the gospel rhythms we see. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill, you, you had a, a one-liner in a sermon that you did a couple of months ago. You mentioned it again two weeks ago, and people just knew it. What, what's the one-liner? Yeah, it was about God's love uh, that it goes to us and through us, and yes. the gospel goes to us and through yeah, us. Yeah, and so we said that's how the, how the grace works in David's life. Mm-hmm. Um, so the grace of God has come to David, and now mm-hmm. it's coming through David, yeah. specifically to um, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who's been crippled. Yeah, um, and and he's kind of maybe fearful of like what would he deserve being related to Saul, and David just blesses him and so kind to him, and he receives that that grace. Mm-hmm. But then there's this another guy, Nahash's son. Um, Whose name was? Oh yeah, sorry, Hanan. Yeah, and Hanan rejects it, and things don't go well for him. He's he's he just doesn't. He's like, this is too good to be true. Which I think, when we think about the gospel, like for us, it might feel too good to be true because it is. Mm-hmm. It's 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 more than we deserve. It's not what we deserve, and that's why it makes it grace. And so, in the same way that um, it's received or rejected in these chapters, when it comes to the gospel, it's offered to us salvation through Christ when we deserve death. Mm-hmm. Um, it's too good to be true, but we we can accept it um, or we can reject it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Chapter eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, huge turning point. Yeah. I mean, every, like at this point, like we've seen David's kingdom being built. We see him, you know, succeeding. We see him experiencing the blessings of God. We see him extending the blessings of God. Then everything mm-hmm. falls apart here. Um, yeah. So what, what happens in chapter 11 with the yeah. famous story of, yeah, this is David and Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah and Charles Spurgeon called this the, one of the sad, the saddest 
chapter in scripture. Uriah was a mighty man. Yeah. And so so he's out at war during springtime. Right. Which technically David at this point's not an old man, so he should be out, out to war. Yeah, with his armies. He's not, and he's he's lounging on the roof, looks over at another roof and sees Bathsheba mm-hmm. uh, who's who's trying to ceremonially cleanse herself. Like she she's following law of God trying to pursue so she's trying to pursue God yeah and he's like she's beautiful and yeah. he basically sleeps with her forces her to sleep with him gets her pregnant yeah. and then he's like I gotta cover my tracks yeah and um and so so how does he how does he plan on covering his tracks so first he's gonna he he, he wants Uriah to go out to battle and give me a report how are things going yeah. and you should go Go home tonight, right? Yeah, and 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 then he would that would cover up, and it looked like Uriah was the one that was the father. Yeah, and, and Uriah's like, nope, I'm committed to to this war, and I'm not gonna. Yeah, he's like, he's like, my men aren't sleeping in their beds. Like, why should I sleep? Mm-hmm. And where yeah. does he sleep? Out on the the ground, right out, like out right, I like got the king's porch, right? Yeah. Like it's almost like a faithful puppy. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? And then so David's like, Ugh, let's get him drunk. So right. he gets him drunk, thinking surely he'll. He'll stumble home and yeah. do the deed, and what does he do? Still, yeah, still faithful. So he's so Dave, David's de- deception, <laughs> like his great ancestor Jacob, mm-hmm. not working so hot. So he has another plan. Yeah, so he's going to send uh, word to some of his other commanders, and when they go out into the thick of battle, they're going to get into a pretty rough spot and then pull away. So he has a letter that he's going to give. Yeah. He's carrying it. Imagine like it's, it's probably sealed with the King's signet ring mm-hmm. and, and he doesn't open it. So when this person opens a letter and reads it right in front of your eye, it's like, Hey, get your eye to the front. Yeah. So he carried his death warrant. Right. Yeah. Pull it's back. Pretty, pretty so, twisted. Yeah. So he, he goes to battle and dies. Then David goes and, and takes Bathsheba to be his wife looking like, Everything's fine. I'm I'm just gonna love this widow, you know, like trying trying to not only cover his tracks, but now almost try to look heroic, right? And um and then it's it's messed up. Mm. And so chapter twelve, Nathan shows up, and um if Nathan would have just went to David and said, David, you are jacked up and you are sinful and you need to repent, how do you think David would have responded? He would probably just been very very defensive, pulled back. I mean, he's already been you know, hardening his heart towards the conviction that he was feeling. And yeah, I think that would have probably best case scenario is defensive. Worst case scenario. He's like, here's, Nathan, a, here's a letter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want you to take this to <laughs> some of my generals. Take this to Joab. Guys with the swords. Um, but he tells a story. How's this like Jesus? He, Jesus told parables and he used those because stories go past our normal defenses and we enter into mm. the story and then they kind of have this surprise moment of, of I love what you said when we were talking about this you said you get lost in them yeah and so yeah. so you kind of become vulnerable and open mm-hmm. and so he tells this story about a guy who has all these sheep mm-hmm. and um and then there's another dude who has one little you mm-hmm. and um, a visitor comes into town and he wants to he wants to to host the visitor well and so instead of going to all the sheep that he has he goes to the man with the one and takes it from him. Yeah. And um and when David how does David respond when he hears about this man? He's angry. He's incensed. He can't he's just felt like there needs to be retribution. What's like, going that on? That guy should die. Yeah. Like what a jerk. Right. <laughs> and and Nathan says, You're the man. You're the man. And this breaks David. He actually pins Psalm fifty one. Yeah. In a response to this. And I, so I, I love Psalm fifty one. Um 
but I, I love if you read it in light of knowing this, the backstory just comes to life. There's this point mm-hmm. in there um, that's this just this shook me in a good way in college, where he says, "May the bones that you have broken rejoice." And um and and I had a um a a, a Jewish historian um <laughs> talk about how in battle um during this time of Israel's um existence that if you broke a bone in battle, um, you couldn't get it properly reset on the field. Um, and so if your bone, um, you know, if it healed in a compromised position, you didn't have the torque you needed to pull a bow. You didn't have the torque you needed to swing a sword. Mm. And so when you got back to safety, even that bone had started resetting, um, they would actually have to re-break it and wow. properly set it. Yeah. And, um, and so no anesthetic, you know, just here's some wine, put an arrow in your mouth, bite down, mm-hmm. snap. And, um, but you would, you would say like, you knew that the breaking and the resetting of the bone would, would rend you, um, effective in life. Like, it's like without it, you would be ineffective as good as dead, but with it, even though it hurt, you knew it would save your life. And so it was like, thank you God for breaking my bones to save my life. And so David really saw this as a, as a breaking moment that, that was hard and hurt, hurt deeply, but he knew God is ultimately saving my life. That's really good. And, so. and I think for everybody, Psalm 51 is just a place when, you, when, when we're broken with our sin and we're being confronted with it and it's just heavy on our hearts and we're feeling that, that Psalm 51 is one of the best places to go and yeah. just pray that through. Uh, yeah, there's um, um, a church in Louisville, Kentucky called Sojourn. Um, they have a they, they have at least two CDs, worship CDs, and they have their first one. They have a song um, on Psalm, Psalm 51. 51. That's, yeah, that's, that's great. That's good. John so, Foreman wrote one on that too. That's yeah. they're both. It's just it's great. It's good good for us. Yeah. So um, this leads to a, a, another hard question. So the first kind of big question we had was around um, around touching the ark. Mm-hmm. Um, this leads to two questions. Um, so on one hand. Um, David had a lot of wives and concubines. Do you think that he had a, a sexual sin issue before this instant? I think so. I, it seems like that's that was an Achilles heel for him. He's a very he was a passionate guy, you know, yeah. musician, warrior. But I think that that was a, a weak spot for him, and taking on all those other wives, you know, was, was not not good. And and then he's you know on top on that rooftop, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and and that and it just it was a you know, set him up for that. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's important for us to know that, that, um, sin is something that builds and escalates and consequences, um, get worse. Mm-hmm. And so I think like how often do we, we start off by watching a show that has someone that's maybe, maybe just really pretty, but then all of a sudden there's, you know, a show with some, some exposure to, right scantily clad women and then yeah. your imagination ends it then then it could be a lustful look at something like i feel like it's just like it's to, to kill sin as soon as possible mm-hmm. <laughs> um because if you keep playing with it um yeah eventually it'll it'll rear its head in a way that that doesn't just affect you but really affects others mm-hmm. um not only bathsheba and the brokenness that she would have had to gone through but the the life of her husband Uriah, um, this is going to affect others, but then it also affected the life of their first child. So, so Mm -hmm. she was impregnated by David and what happens to this kid? The Lord strikes the child and the child dies. So that's kind of the the third question, um, is what do we do with that? Like why, why would God take the life of this child because of the mistakes of his parents? Mm -hmm. 
Um, Bill, I know when we did our last partnership class, which if, if you're not part of Redeemer, we, it's what we call membership is partnership. And we have a class for that. And, um, and one of the questions people said is like, what's Redeemer's stance? Um, if a child loses its life, whether it was mm-hmm. a, a miscarriage or um, in birth or, or a young child, and because they came from a faith tradition that would say they, they would not be saved. And, um, and so my stance was, I, I don't know. Um, what I do know is, is John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit within his mother's womb. Yes. And so there's, there's confidence there. But this, this story is actually something you used to encourage their hearts. And so yeah. what was it about this, this yeah. story that was actually something that you used in counsel? Yeah, this came to mind. The, the, first, uh, the first funeral that I ever conducted was for uh, a family that had lost a child in the womb. And so we were just wrestling through with these things. And this is one of the places that I think we can go to. Scripture isn't, it doesn't give us, you know, a clear, straightforward uh, answer. But when we look at the example of John the Baptist, or we look at this example where David, you know, afterwards, he says, um, can I bring him back? No, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And when David says, I shall go to him, I think that's a indication that there's going to, there's a reunion. Yeah. And, uh, and then too, when I, when I think about the character of God, uh, how gracious and merciful and loving he is. And, and we see that, you know, he, his spirit could come to John the Baptist in the womb, that little baby yeah. that, um, that I think that we're reunited with the, with those children. Yeah. So, so um, that child loses its life, which is, which is heartbreaking and sad. There's, there's no way around it. But um, they get pregnant again, mm-hmm. and um, and then this will be Solomon. And yeah. so, as we get into First and Second Kings, First uh, Kings, I guess not not Second Kings, we're going to learn a lot more about about Solomon. And so, the kind of the main characters we've had: Samuel, Saul, David. The next one will be Solomon. Solomon. So, so this is where he enters the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, in in cha- so then after chapter twelve. Um, yeah. We get to chapters 13 through 15. Yeah. And, you know, when you read about um, God, when God just really talks to David about what he's done with Bathsheba, he's, it's, it's so severe. It's like, this is, a, this is a really big deal. And so because of this, there's going to be problems in your house mm. from here on out. And it was, so it was a really a defining moment with what happened with Bathsheba and Uriah. And now we get to see the fallout of that with all these problems in, in David's home. Yeah. Um, so chapters 13 through 15, um, we see the sons of David begin to repeat his mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so there's this kind of messed up story where, where Amnon sexually abuses his sister, mm-hmm. um, Tamar, their brother Absalom finds out and he basically has Amnon assassinated. Right. You know? Um, and so then Absalom runs away. He's like, David, my dad's not going to be happy with this, but kind of David's right hand dude, Joab, mm-hmm. um, He's working behind the scenes. He uses a lady um, to to confront David and and works to get Absalom back to Jerusalem. So after years of hiding, he comes home, but he's back, and it's like they're not they're not having a family reunion. Like him and David aren't speaking for they're two not, years. Yeah, they're for two estranged. whole years. So he's wondering like, how does my dad think about me? What does he think about me? Is is he still mad? Is he not mad? He just doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And once again, um, he he basically he works to get a meeting with his dad mm-hmm. and there's this moment where, where David kisses him. Mm-hmm. And so it, it feels like without reading any extra commentary or anything, just looking at it, you're like, is this a sign of a healed relationship? Is David extending forgiveness? Is he saying we are right? I, I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe there's more to that. Um, either way, it's not enough for Absalom. 
Yeah. And so, um, and so Absalom basically, he's like, I'm going to get some chariots. Um, I'm going to sit out in front of the gate. I'm going to tell people my dad's not a good judge or not a good counselor. So I'll take your case. And just over the course of time, like he's winning over the people and he's a good looking dude, kind of like Saul. He's the type of person you'd look to and be like, I want him to lead. And you, you liken him to who? I thought it was like, I could imagine Brad Pitt playing him. Uh, like Chris, long. Chris Hemsworth, Brad Pitt, one of those, yes, Matthew McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey with long hair, yeah. Uh, so, um, either way, he's a good-looking dude. He wins over the people and and the, through conspiracy, like, mm-hmm. or um, what you call that? A coup? I don't know. Not uh, a coup. conspiracy, definitely. Yeah, yeah. He, he takes over the kingdom. And what does David do? Instead of fighting, he he flees. He runs away. It's like, I don't yeah. know if he thought like the only option is to kill my son. I can't bear it. I don't know what his reasoning is, but just like Saul, he's back to the comfort of the wilderness. Yeah. <laughs> which isn't comfortable. Right. At all. Um, so as we go through the wilderness in chapters 16 through 18, David encounters both friends and enemies, um, friends that have turned enemies, and he seems just disoriented. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so... Yeah, and you can read about how he's processing that. It, Psalm three is was it's it literally in the it says it was written when he was fleeing from Absalom. So yeah, check out Psalm three. That's a good one. And so, um, basically, he hid in the wilderness until Saul died. And now we're gonna see that same thing. He's gonna he's gonna stay in the wilderness until either he dies or he Absalom. gets word that Absalom dies. And Absalom dies. How does it happen? He's riding. There's battle going on, and he's riding through some thick woods, and it gets caught in a tree. And it's either his, maybe the a branch. That it I, I always imagined it as like like he maybe looks back, and there's a branch that you would think like would clothesline someone, but it just so happens it's like a fork or something. And he, he gets stuck, and his yeah. neck's caught. But you said, yeah, 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 it could be that his hair gets caught in some thick branches. That beautiful hair that he was so proud could of. You probably imagine hanging by your hair. No, <laughs> that hurts so bad. Yeah, so he's hanging there in the, um, from the. And so one guy's like, um, and he's not going to kill him though. Cause he's like, like, what would David do if he found out that I killed his son? Mm-hmm. Like da- David's like, you never know. Like if there's like, what would David do bracelets? Like people are like, I don't I'm know wondering. what David would do. Um, and so he's not going to do it. Joab hears it. He's like, I got this. So yeah. he goes, takes three spears, drive them through his heart. Takes him out. Then other dudes come and double tap him. Yeah. With some arrows. Yeah. So they get rid of Absalom. This, this problem. He's dead. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely dead. Yes, and um, and so then David David comes back, um, but once he comes back, he's just a broken man. Yeah. I mean, like Job kind of confronts him because he's so sad about his son dying, and Job's like, "Dude, you were broken about your son who who conspired against you, took over the kingdom, won over the people, turned him against you." not faithful at all. He's like, he's like, and we've been faithfully following you. And if we would have died, I don't think you would have cared. Right. You, you mean you care more about the person who's betrayed you than do about the people who love you. And so David kind of shakes off the dust and gets back mm-hmm. on the throne to lead, but he does. So as just a, a broken man. Mm-hmm. Um, any other, any other thoughts from chapter 16 to 20? Yeah, I think that that's the, you, you see, uh, I think there's something in the, the way that David relates to Absalom where you know he's he Absalom keeps doing these terrible things, and even when he kisses him, um, that and, and then it, where he's so sad about losing him that there's something, some pretty off with the way that he was yeah. regarding uh, th- with their relationship. Yeah. So then chapters twenty one through twenty four, it's an epilogue, and so it's it's not chronological in order. It's it's pulling information from different parts of of David's life, mm-hmm. and what it's doing is it's. It's, it's concluding the book, but it's going to tie us back to 
to First Samuel. And so one, we, we see failures of Saul where he failed with the Gibeonites. Mm-hmm. What was he supposed to do with the Gibeonites? Yeah, he's supposed to protect them, and then he's making plans to destroy Strike them. Strike them down, like yeah. just to kind of woo the people with how, look how mighty I am. So so David goes to make that that right. Mm-hmm. David fails by numbering his army. Why, why was it why was it wrong for David to do a census of his army? Yeah, it's because he was he was going to rely on his strength. Look how look at my numbers. Look how many men I have instead of relying on the Lord. Yeah. So he's basically like it's like the opposite of when he faced Goliath. You yeah. Know? Just one man, but the Lord is with me and now he's like, I got all these men. Yeah, do I have enough people to win instead of do I have God? Yeah. And um and so we see failure there. Um mm-hmm. and then we also see um, David becoming weaker. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, at one point, like, you know, he's, he's kind of frail and on the battlefield, um, a little bit weary. And so they're fighting more giants with six fingers and six toes, 24 members and all. And, um, and a guy has to basically come to his aid mm-hmm. or David would have died. We see David not even able to do the simple task of, of getting water for himself. So men have to go and get him a drink. And mm-hmm. once they bring it back, he's broken because like, I should have, I should have done that for myself. So David's getting weaker, but in the midst of these stories, um, there, there are two poems. Yeah. Yeah. And they draw us back to the song of Hannah and we see these similar themes. So what are some of the themes that pop out in the poems that we also saw with Hannah? Yeah. So first that God opposes the proud. Uh, then we see how that he'll exalt those who humble themselves before. So so the difference between Saul and David, David really humbled Humbled himself. himself. Yeah. Yeah. And um, despite our failures, that that God is still working out His great plan. Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest takeaways for me in Second Samuel. Yeah. Is is like just this beautiful truth that God can paint straight with the crooked lines of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then our ultimate hope. Where's Where's it? Our future King. Yeah, which David calls the Rock. Yeah, and I love that. That's that's Christ. Yeah. Um, so yeah. the the Rock that Moses struck mm-hmm. was Jesus. Yeah. Um. So, so then there's the other part, like when we kind of see the weakness of David with the water, it does mention some of David's mighty men, which right. I, like, I love. Heroic like, exploits, these guys. Yeah, and so um, I, just, I love seeing these, like, you know, I, I think we say Navy SEAL, Green Beret, Army Rangers, Delta Force. I don't know. Like, these dudes were legit. Yeah. Um, who's your favorite? Uh, the guy that goes down with a lion in a snowy pit, he goes down into this pit and kills a lion, you know, and that's like... First of all, it's snowing. Second of all, it's a pit. The lion's probably stuck down there, but he decides, man, I'm going to jump down there in there. Sounds like you could write a book on this. Yes, it, sounds, it would be a great title for a book. Yeah, great title. Thanks, Mark <laughs> Batterson. Um, and and this dude also goes and fights a, a handsome Egyptian, doesn't yeah. have a weapon, and what does he do? Takes his takes the Egyptian's weapon and takes <laughs> him out. Yeah. yeah, so that dude's awesome. Yeah. Um, so some of, the, some of the questions that we had were, you know, why punish the guy for trying to save the ark? Was David struggling with sexual sin before Bathsheba. Um, why would he take the life, God take the life of their first son? Any other questions that, that stood, stood out or came to you? I don't think that's, that's, those are some of the big ones. Yeah. And then we talked about shadows of Jesus, 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, we see chapter seven, yeah. central, you know, how will this kingdom last forever? Ultimately through yeah. not just the son of David, but the son of God. Yeah. Um, we see grace extended. It flows to David and then through David. Through him. Mm-hmm. And um, another one is when you read the genealogy in Matthew and it gets to Bathsheba, the, the author, Matthew, intentionally doesn't say Bathsheba. Do you know what he says? The wife of Uriah. Which is interesting, but what he wants to do is he wants to draw us back to the scandal. 
And so, so even as we're reading about this great Messiah to understand that like even in his genealogy, there, there's scandal that God is using and rewriting for greater good. So mm-hmm. I, lo- I just love that, that truth of how despite our failures, despite our weaknesses, um, that, that doesn't hinder God's ability to work in our lives and through our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final two poems with the rock tie us back. But any, any other shadows of yeah, Jesus? That- just, yeah. Well, and, and so we're, you know, we've seen, we're seeing the life of David here. Uh, so things are, you know, basically wrapping up with him and he's known as the man after God's own heart. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, what an incredible description. And then, but we, we see all of the flaws, all of the ugly spots, you know, in his life. And, and I, and I, I think that there's a, a great place of encouragement for us with, um, how the way that God's grace is at work in David's life, yeah. a very imperfect person and uh, the way that David responds in repentance to the Lord. And it reminds me, um, I've been reading this, uh, the book gentle and lowly about the heart of Christ. Yeah. And, and it just, and you think David as a, a man after God's own heart and, um, and sometimes I think that's like his, his life was lived for God, but, um, and he was seeking God's heart. Not only yeah. like a lot like God, but seeking God's heart and to know that Jesus's heart towards us is come to me, come mm. to me, David, find rest, come to me. Let me show you, let me get, you know, let me restore to you the joy of your salvation. Yeah. Psalm 51. And, uh, and so that's uh, when I think about David and we get to read his life and, uh, I, that definitely uh, is encouraging yeah. to me. I love it. I love the 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 stories of Saul, David, and we're about to get into First Kings. So next time we talk, First Kings, we're going to see Solomon, uh, the son of David and Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. Um, we're going to get some really cool stuff with Elijah mm-hmm. when we get there. Yeah. So keep keep reading. And um and what's so cool about the man after God's own heart is when we wrap up First Peter this week, we'll have Easter. We'll have a, a post-Easter sermon. Then we're going to jump into a brand new series called Undivided. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to have a, a heart that's undivided, that's after God's heart? And you know what we're going to look at? Saul, David, and Solomon. So so if you're reading these, just I, I can't wait for you to, to have a little bit more color to these stories in that sermon series. So, so stay tuned for, for Undivided. A little, little sermon plug. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week. Keep reading and we'll be we'll be unpacking First Kings. <laughs>